Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of The Theologian's Table. My name is Tim and I am the host. So this is a special episode because it's pre-recorded. Uh, it's from a live stream that I did on Facebook and YouTube. And uh, it's about prophecy, specifically about how to define biblical prophecy, and then how to spot false prophets today and how to define a true prophet. So in the episode, I also field questions from people watching who are interacting with me. And so um, let me bring you over to that now. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you learn something. And thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Tim. I am the host of The Theologian's Table, and this is a live episode of my podcast. Um, so you're able to ask questions, and you can leave a comment in the chat. If you are watching on my uh personal Facebook page and you leave a comment, you it might not show up in my chat. So the best thing to do if you want to leave a comment is to go to the Theologian's Table Facebook page and leave a, a comment that is uh, in that stream. And you can also go to YouTube. So uh Yes, I can see that. So I don't know if you're using my personal page, but I can definitely see that. All right. Uh, and if you're, you're not comfortable with leaving, uh, you know, putting your, your, your real name out there. Uh, all right. Yeah. So if you're... <laughs> If you're watching on my personal Facebook page and want to leave a comment, go ahead and do that because I can see it. But if you don't want your name out there for everybody to see, because this will replay um, on YouTube and Facebook, uh, you you can go over to the YouTube channel. And, you know, most people have a, a fake username or something like that, and you can leave a comment that way. And I'll put it up and nobody will know who you are. Now, I'll be doing this like any one of my other episodes that I post um, on <laughs> whatever, on a, you know, a Spotify or whatever. So I'll be reading. It's scripted. But I'll be checking for your comments. So let's get going with this. All right. 2021. A lot of us were hoping for a quieter year, but alas, that is not the case, at least here in the United States. You know, I'm a little flabbergasted at what happened in D.C. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, then you may not know that there was a protest outside of the Capitol building, which led to Trump supporters storming into it and causing a lot of chaos. There's like five people dead. One of them is a police officer. And uh, it was it was just crazy. It's an attack on our institutions. Uh, and I'm and I am, to be honest with you, pretty shocked that there are Christians who went along with supporting this kind of division and violence. I don't think anybody should support any kind of violence in any situation. That's because I'm a closet pacifist, so. Uh, um, but it, it's easy to see how things uh, happen like this, though. I think when you wed religion so tightly to a political party where Christianity becomes a civil religion, it's only a matter of time before people lose sight of Jesus in favor of a party platform. I believe, though, that another reason why we're at this point, especially as Christians, is because of prophecy. And I don't mean that the Bible gives prophecy that all of this was going to happen, 
because it might in some vague way. Uh, but I'm talking about modern day prophets, air quotes, who seize on the nationalistic fervor for the last four years, and you know, even before that, to add fuel to the fire and suggest that Trump is God's chosen one to lead America into glory or what, what have you. And I'll be reading an excerpt later from one of these so-called prophets so you can get a handle on what I'm talking about. But what I'm going to do is lay out a biblically informed description of what prophecy is and what prophets were like when they prophesied. I'll try to answer any questions that you put in the chat if I see them. A lot of what I'll be doing is done with the help from a scholar named Oscar Merlo, who teaches out of Biola University. And then I'm going to lay out a historical groundwork of how the church in the first and second century prophesied and how they discerned true prophets from false prophets. And I'll be using a lot of my own research. Because I did study early Christianity for the better part of a year. So I like to think that my research is good enough. I think that the second part, though, the historical part, is really important because among neo-Pentecostal and charismatic circles, you'll, you have all of these people who desperately desire to return to an apostolic age where the gifts of the Spirit flourished and there are signs and wonders and bold proclamations of the gospel. The issue is, though, is that a lot of these leaders in these circles don't bother to study the history of the first apostolic era, or whatever you want to call it. And they don't do that after the book of Acts. They don't study how leaders in that time had to navigate faithfully uh, teaching alongside the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and some manipulated that. And so our ignorance of that history, it causes us harm. So... Let's get started with how prophecy is presented in the Bible. A lot of people concentrate on prophecy as foretelling, you know, predicting future events. And there's certainly plenty of that in the Bible. Now, for instance, with prophecies out of Isaiah concerning the birth of Christ and the prophecies in, in Revelation and, and Daniel but prophecy is also forth-telling. Uh, and in our context, uh, that's proclaiming the message of Christ and keeping the church faithful to the will, the purposes, and message of Christ. In the Old Testament, forth-telling worked in much the same way. The prophets were sent to correct Israel when they stayed from when they strayed from their covenant with God. And a lot of the time, this was directed at the religious and governmental leaders of Israel uh, because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing in that covenant. And they were leading Israel into idolatry. Uh, and you can look at the story of Elijah, the prophet, for examples of that, along with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, and just about any Old Testament prophet. And what's interesting also about the prophets and the prophecies in the Old Testament, they were almost always, like nine times out of ten, it was always directed at just Israel. Although there were other prophecies concerning other kingdoms because they were in close proximity to Israel and, and they knew what Israel was about. So they didn't get uh, left off the hook. They, they got included into uh, that correction and judgment sometimes. Another thing about Old Testament prophecies is that God often required the prophet to live out the prophecy. For example, God had the prophet Hosea marry a prostitute in order to show Israel that God considered himself as a husband to an unfaithful bride, Israel but he still pursued them. And there are other exa examples like in Isaiah 
who was uh, required to to be naked for I think it was a year. Most importantly, though, being a prophet also meant being called to be a martyr. As I just mentioned, the Old Testament prophets commonly confronted the government and religious leaders, those who drove the social uh, conscience uh, of the nation, as it were. This meant that the prophet went against popular public opinions. They were constantly struggling with the people of Israel. And that is why they were most times rejected for what they said and did. And they were often killed by the people that they were sent to to preach to or to prophesy to. In fact, Jesus highlights this in Matthew 22 when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how I often long to gather you, uh, gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. When it comes to the popular prophetic ministries uh, of today, we don't see much willingness uh, to the call of being a martyr. There are a lot of self-proclaimed prophets that speak these huge national prophecies, but they do so from the comfort through a distant connection like uh, over social media, or on expensive television sets, whereas the prophets in the Old Testament who who lived out the prophecy like Hosea and Isaiah, they were, that made them courageous in fulfilling their calling in spite of the threat of death. And so let's move on to the uh, prophecy in, in the New Testament. So the Apostle Paul had some spirit-inspired insight, of course, on what prophecy should be. Uh, Paul says that uh, prophecy should build up the church and uh, lead it to its edification. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that when people prophesy, others in the church must weigh what has been said. Paul, uh, so there's a requirement of discernment in what the person uh, says and thinks. Paul says that this must happen because if not, it causes confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. He's the God of of order. But also, um, Merlot points out that since prophecy is a gift of the Spirit, we need to think about the benevolence of of the Holy Spirit, the character of the Holy Spirit. So what do we think uh, of when we think on the Holy Spirit? Though the Holy Spirit is powerful, yes, uh, but the Spirit is also full of God's love and life and peace and justice and reconciliation. Uh, these are all, these are the care also the characteristics of Christ. And there's a Pentecostal theologian that I like named Mark Cherona, Doctor Mark Cherona, and he says that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and all that prophecy must point and lead to Jesus. So let's go now to that's uh, prophecy. Uh, as described in the the New Testament. Let's go to prophecy uh, in the early church uh, after the book of Acts. Uh, But uh, Christianity, you know, it didn't stop after Acts. Uh, The church that inherited everything from the apostles still carried out the mission of the church and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were still very much present. There's this false notion out there that once the apostles died off like John, Paul, Peter, and whatever, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped. But that's not true because there's plenty of early Christian documents that uh, prove that wrong. So I'm going to be offering some insights based on some early Christian documents from the early second century. And what you need to know is that for a long time, these texts that I'm going to be reading from or referencing, they were authoritative in the church. 
and they were passed. Uh, they passed out of popularity uh, sometime after Constantine, or maybe a little bit later. But just because they weren't canonized in the Bible doesn't mean that we shouldn't take them serious because they're historical documents. Um, I just want to ask before I go on if anybody has any questions about what I said about the the Old Testament prophecy or, or or how it's described in the New Testament. I, I feel like I'm going pretty quickly. Marty, on page four of my notes, and it's only been 15 minutes. So if you have a question, uh, I'd love to uh, hear it. You can type it in the, the comments and I'll, I'll uh, throw it up on the screen to talk because there there's a lot of information. This is a very controversial topic. Uh, so Feel free to ask, but if not, I'll keep going. Uh, so the text I, I want to give you, one is called the Didache and the other is the, the Shepherd of Hermas. Uh, and also, I don't know, you might be able to hear my kids in the background. They're still awake. This mic picks up everything. So, you know, they're playing Crash Bandicoot and all that. <laughs> all right. Uh, one of the interesting things during this period was that there were prophets that traveled from community to community. It was both uh, prophets and, and apostles. And they would go from uh, province to province from to cri different Christian communities, and they would minister, and they would lead. Uh, they would sometimes lead uh, uh, worship services or the sacraments like uh, communion. Um, but uh, since this was the case, and since the Christian communities knew that some people would take advantage of the role of the prophet, the leaders of these communities uh, gave a lot of guidance on what a true prophet would speak and what the character of a true prophet should be. But one of the earliest Christian text to tackle this was uh, something called the Didache, which is a document that that served as a church manual and a, a manual for catechism and uh, and how to you know do a worship service, I guess. So, and the, the Didache gives uh, a large amount of space uh, highlighting the character of a true prophet and apostle. For in <sighs> Thank you. I'm glad that you're watching. I hope you learned something. Um, okay, where was I? Sorry. Um, so a prophet must not teach What's outside the public teaching of the church? Um, the early church very much guarded the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of, of the apostle. If they didn't keep with that, they weren't to be trusted because it harmed um, the righteousness that prophecy was meant to lead to. So if there wasn't, in keeping with that, they would throw them out, I imagine. Another thing is that the authors of the Didache uh, among and among other communities said that a prophet should not, should not ask for money. And if they did ask for money, it was for the poor. They would just say, don't give it to me, give it to the poor or whatever, the needy. The question, though, is why? Why didn't they ask for money? Especially if they were traveling from uh, community to community or all around the uh, Greco-Roman world, you know, from Israel to, to Turkey and Rome and Greece and things like that. Well, it's because many view the prophets as uh, in connection with the disciples in, in Matthew. So in Matthew 10... Uh, 9 through 15, Jesus instructs the 12 disciples he's sending out to not take money from those that were that they were about to minister to, but just to depend on the hospitality 
of those who receive them before they move on to the next place. Uh, the primary concern for the prophet and, and apostles then is that they are devoted to the eschatological urgency. And that means, uh, you know, they wanted to minister and prophesy and things like that before the Lord returned. And, and so they, because of that, they didn't care about the things of this world that just pass away. And, and the example of that is money. So the, the question this makes me ask, especially in neo-Pentecostal circles where eschatology is a huge thing, eschatological urgency, and we always think that we're living um, very close to Jesus's return. Question that may, makes me ask is how much money do these prophetic ministries now make, oh, make and how much have they made over the last four years? Um, especially to uh, from the people that kept their that they the prophets kept their political hopes alive. I think that with the knowledge that these prophets did not or should not earn money off of their prophecies presents a spiritual, moral, and ethical dilemma for today's ministries. In the document, though, uh, The Shepherd of Hamas, things uh, seem to be a lot more detailed about what a prophet uh, prophesies, if it's true or false, or what their character is. And this document is what is called an apocalypse. I know a lot of people, when they hear the word apocalypse, they think of cataclysm and, you know, the end of the world. But apocalyptic literature is just a series of uh, visions where uh, the one having the visions is guided by some kind of angelic being, just like John is guided in the, in the book of Revelation. The detail in the shepherd uh, partly has to do with the idea of Hermas, uh, in this context, discerning spirits that are said to exist within a person and, and they communicate to that person. So there's a spirit of righteousness, and then there is a spirit of wickedness. Uh, the other part has to do the other part of the detail has to do with a person or community being double-minded. You might, if you read the book of James, you, you might be familiar with that. Uh, in the context of the shepherd of Hermas, uh, being double-minded is a description of being filled with doubt, but not going before God and asking him. So it's a failure to trust God with the answers that he might give you. Uh, what the reader of Hermas must be aware of is that the false prophet is both speaking out of their own emptiness. They don't have the, the, the divine spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it's uh, also the influenced by Satan. Uh, therefore, what is taught is what destroys the double-minded. So, okay. Jessica is asking, where are the scripts? So this, this comes from the Shepherd of Hermas, and it's not in the Bible. It's an early Christian text that wasn't canonized, but it was authoritative. And the part that I read there came from the Shepherd of Hermas, chapter 11, verse 1. Hey, Elizabeth. All right. So the, uh, the author is saying a prophet does not need to be consulted. So a double-minded person would go, would go to this prophet to consult the prophet, much like, uh, much like a person goes to a fortune teller, you know, to get their tarot cards read or their <laughs> tea leaves read or something like that. Um, Antoine, nice to see you. And you're welcome, Jessica, anytime. 
So the, the, the author is saying a prophet is not consulted, uh, but rather a word from God, which is a prophecy, speaks on its own because it has the power of the Holy Spirit. So people, just imagine people gathered in a room, they're worshiping and praying. The Spirit is present and he manifests and somebody speaks a word. And that word is a word of prophecy. And so that it comes from the Holy Spirit. Person just doesn't say it. Uh, they have to get it from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the things that destroy the mind then are words that lead to or enable the ongoing idolatry of the double-minded. So a false prophet tells people what they want to hear. One of my kids is crying. They just got told something they didn't want to hear. Uh, Elizabeth says, you can't just do it on your own. You're right. Because, because that shows your will. It doesn't show the will of God. All right, let's move on to the character of the prophet. Uh, also, thank you so much for asking questions and saying hi. Uh, if you haven't pressed the like button, please do it because it helps the visibility of the show. And so does commenting and, and asking questions. Um, but, uh, and you can also share the show, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's get back to what we're talking about here. Um, how Christians view the character of who was a false prophet and who was a true uh Prophet, according to the Didache, a prophet should should not be tested because, well, uh, there there if a prophecy didn't come to fast to pass, then it was a false prophecy. But also, the conduct of the prophet reveals whether or not that person is even speaking a word from God. And so, the shepherd of Hermas kind of fleshes that out for us. Um. So in commandment 11 of the shepherd, it goes on in length to describe the behavior and the character of a false prophet. For example, the false prophet may feel as though honor is due to them. You know, they're speaking all these prophecies. And so they feel like, you know, they need a place at the table. That's a place of importance. Uh, or, you know, they're boastful uh, and, and they're shameless in the way that they talk and they talk on end. And they'll only prophesy if they receive money. And then the author, uh, this is funny to me because I'm a nerd. The author cleverly asked if the spirit of God, should the spirit of God only prophesy if he receives money? So having, you know, we established already that the prophet does not prophesy by themselves, but of the Holy Spirit's. And then if the Holy Spirit doesn't require money to give a prophecy, then neither should a prophet. So then, and we get back to the question today, how many of these modern day prophetic ministries, uh, how much do they make? How much have people donated to them? Um, and does it does it concern you? Uh, but then uh, let's go back to the Didache and, and the and the author of Hermas. They both say that a prophet is proven true not only if the prophecy happens, but by the fruit of the prophet's life. If the prophet is humble, if he avoids evil and useless desires, if he's modest, he or she. There were female prophets, Philip's daughters. Uh, and uh, if the prophet does not abide being consulted. So if you were a true prophet, you would not even let anybody come near you with a question uh, to be consulted. It's most likely then they, they truly have the divine uh, gift of prophecy. Uh, and so the character and the voice of the prophet fall within something called the two ways tradition that was very important 
in, in Judaism and then uh, in early Christianity. But there's a question first, so let me get to that. Jessica is asking, question about money that keeps coming up. Does this mean ones that have TikTok? I know it seems silly, but I'm trying to break down what you are saying. Uh, I don't know much about TikTok. I don't have a TikTok account. Uh, so um, I don't I don't know if people ask for money on that, but they but if you know they're spiritual or if they claim that they're a Christian and asking for money, I'd be a little suspicious of that. Um uh, Let's see. So the goals of, but going back here to the two ways, the goals of the ways are simple and, and they're kind of dualistic, but one way leads to life and the other way leads to death. Based on the readings of uh, each of these texts, uh, both point to the idea that a false prophet is the one that answers based on the person's desires that they're, they're prophesying to one who loves the world. And uh, I'm talking about in, in a fleshly sense, like they love, you know, com money and power and maybe sex. Uh, so the one who acts as though they love the world uh, in that sense and who does not keep with the teachings of Christ the Torah and, and the church is the one who will lead others down the way of death. So a, a false prophet will lead others down the way of death. And this also goes back to Oscar Merlo's comments in his biblical research of the prophecy of prophecy, as he notes that the God of the fake prophets uh, separate is violent, warmongering, coercive, destructive, dominating, divisive, and demonizing of others who do not share the same view on every particular issue. The predictions of false prophets create anxiety, fear, and distress for those who hear them. If the words given by the prophets do not reflect truth that build up rather than tear down. They are manipulative and socially dangerous. And he gives examples, uh, Merlo gives examples of, uh, in scripture, Isaiah 61.1, Luke 4.18, John 14.16 and 26. And uh, let me just see if I can copy and paste that. And I'll put that in the chat. So those those are scriptural references for uh, manipulative false prophets and prophecy. On the other hand, those who bear the fruit of the Spirit and who love Christ and the uh, and the Law, the Torah, who do not answer when consulted but only prophesy. What God speaks through them is the one who will lead others down the way of life. Now, <clears throat> well, <laughs> I'm glad that you asked, and I'm actually about to go into that section. Elizabeth asked, who might be some modern-day false prophets? And... Right now, I'm. This is the this. So I'm going into that section right now, and this is probably the most difficult section for me because I'm going to be criticizing uh, our current president, and I'm going to be naming a couple. Well, one name in particular, and a lot of people that I know um, look up to these. You know, the president and and this other prophet. But uh, if you if we want to give uh, you know one that is is easy, uh, I would say Benny Hinn. Um, 
And you can even look at uh, the stuff that his nephew, Costi Hen, writes about him. So, uh, But there's another one that is very popular in charismatic circles and neo in Pentecostal circles. So let me just get on to that section. So I said I would read a, a supposed prophecy for you. This is one from a highly popular self-described puppet named a uh, prophet puppet puppet uh, named Jeremiah Johnson, and it's in support of Donald Trump. What does this say? Difference of opinion shouldn't change a ship. I don't. You know, I'm a little confused, but let me re read this prophecy. It said. It says, Trump shall become my trumpet to the American people, for he possesses qualities that are even hard to find in my people, meaning God's people, these days. Uh, you think? <laughs> Trump does not fear man, nor will he allow deception and lies to go unnoticed. I'm going to use him to expose darkness and perversion in America like never before, but you must understand that he is like a bull in a china closet. Many will want to throw him away because he will disturb their sense of peace and tranquility. Remember that those are very important parts, peace and tranquility, to uh, the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of a true prophet. So uh, he'll disturb their sense of peace and tranquility, but you must listen through the bantering to discover the truth that I will speak through him. I will use the wealth that I have given him to expose and launch investigations searching for the truth. Just as I raised up Cyrus to fulfill my purposes and plans, so have I raised up Trump to fulfill my purposes and plans prior to the 2016 election. You must listen to the trumpet very closely for he will sound the alarm and many will be blessed because of his compassion and mercy. Though many see the outward pride and arrogance, uh, I have given him the tender heart of a father that wants to lend a helping hand to the poor and the needy, to the foreigner uh, and the stranger. All right. On the surface, there is a lot of things in this that are pretty compelling. And Johnson doesn't dismiss a lot of what people think of Trump's character. And Trump kind of takes on this, this Cyrus-esque quality where he benefits the people of God. And then notice how Johnson says that God has given Trump the tender heart of, of a father. But I guess, you know, just don't look at Trump's Twitter feed and you'll be you might be able to accept that. So Johnson and others like him prophesied on Trump's behalf for nearly four years. And some of his emails to his financial supporters go way beyond that. I was privy to one of his emails and it's very fanatic. Johnson uh Johnson's prophecy and subsequent prophecies, as well as prophecies from other popular leaders who, who gave prophecies for the benefit of Trump, including the ones that assured Trump's re-election victory, that didn't happen, so those were false prophecies. Uh, they raised a lot of complex theological questions in the light of, other, of the other material that I presented. And so here's some questions that I have. If the fruit of the Spirit can count as the imputation of Christ's righteousness uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So when, when you receive salvation, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you put Christ on. He becomes your, your righteousness, and that's how you're able to stand before God. Um, and then the, the fruit of the Spirit, though, are the things that make you like Christ. And there's, Paul lists nine of them in Galatians 5.22, I believe it is. Love, joy, peace, pace, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, may, maybe I missed one. Uh, but those, those are things that make you like Christ because of the fruit of the Spirit. And they help you sh display uh, Christ's righteousness. Um, so would that not also make all of the gifts like prophecy relevant to Christ? And I, is the spirit at war with himself? If the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit is what makes one like Christ and one's purpose is to become like Christ and to help usher in the kingdom of Christ. And if Christ is king overall, what does that say about a church when a quote unquote prophet lifts up a leader who has very publicly shown that he does not have the qualities that resemble Christ, especially if that leader is saying that he represents other Christians. Jessica asks, can you link me after this if you did show a show for accepting Christ? Uh, I don't think that I've, I've done that, but I can, I can look. Uh, so based on the examination of the text that I reference, it could lead one to think that the apostolic fathers, the ones who led the, the early church, they would have some serious issues with the kind of prophecy that we've got going on today. So Johnson came out recently and he said that he got it wrong about Trump, but he doesn't think that makes him a false prophet. But the Bible testifies that if a prophecy doesn't come to pass, it's false. It's true that there were things about the will of God in Jeremiah Johnson's prophecy, but we have been given permission by God to discern his will and to test the spirits that speak to the church rather than wholesale accepting and seal clapping whenever somebody says something that they say is the word or will of God. This isn't about judging God's will. This is seeking to know the truth of God's will. I don't know if you saw that because my computer just glitched, but this, like I said, that this isn't, the, isn't judging God's will. This is seeking to know the truth of God's will, and that requires significant discernment. And I don't think that a lot of people have been discerning these modern-day prophets very well. <clears throat> and, and so we've been given this permission to discern and ask what the will of God means. And I'll give you scripture references right here in the chat. It doesn't list John. But this is a framework of a biblical framework of knowing what <clears throat> prophecy is. In classical Pentecostalism, it emphasizes that Jesus is Savior, Sanctifier, Spirit Baptizer, Healer, and soon coming King. I think that it would benef be beneficial for neo-pentecostals to fold everything into this belief to hold to christ above all to put his hope and trust in him and to hold public and church leaders who so public leaders and church leaders who come in who claim to come in the name of god they need to hold them to the standards that are indeed christ-like so they need accountability and we need to hold them accountable for what they do, especially if they say they're representing Christ's Christian values or, or of the people of God. Uh, so before anyone who is a Trump supporter gets all riled up at what I have to say, this isn't really about him. What this is, is about a spirit of fear that has been allowed way too long in American evangelicalism. And it includes various branches of Pentecostalism and, and Charismatics. This is a fear that promotes an us versus them mentality in Christians. It's a fear that replaces trust in God with trust in a human. It's a fear 
that holds up nostalgia instead of growing in sanctification. And the sanctification is supposed to be present in every part of a believer's life. It's not to be compartmentalized. And we do that so often. I do that so often. The blood of Jesus is supposed to soak everything. It's a it's also a fear that says if we don't have a certain political party in power, then we are being unfaithful to God. When in reality, God wants to be in direct direct rulership of his people. It's a fear that removes discipleship away from Jesus and towards 24-hour punditry. So you can't be discipled by freaking, excuse my language, 24-hour news channels. It's a fear that prevents you from taking up your cross and dying and asking you to lay it down because you might need that that uh, cross to fashion it into a weapon. It's also a fear that says Christ Christians need power as the world defines power. I think a lot of Christians have lost sight of, of what the power of God means in their life. And I know that's a a broad brush, but just hear me out. In scripture, God is saying that when he gets things accomplished by his uh, spirit, and we we put a lot of concentration on the manifestations of of the spirit, which the apostle calls charismata in, in the Greek. The thing of it is, is charismata is only one side of the Spirit's power. The other side, which has equal footing with the the gifts, if not more emphasis, in my opinion, is the fruit of the Spirit, the the qualities that make you like Christ. While the charismata is powerful, it it displays signs and wonders of God. The karpos, which is the Greek word for fruit, is powerful because it manifests the character of Christ in a believer and in the believing community. And it trans- it transitions us out of the, the uh, influences of society that have tried to form us. But it is, it's my opinion that we need to develop this, uh, I call it a Carpos Charismata paradigm of viewing the power of God because it's ultimately more Christ-like, and we are called to be like his Savior, uh, or our Savior. So, this is what a false prophet, a false prophet is one who answers what the person consulting them wants to hear. In my opinion, we've had that for a long time. Uh I'm almost, I'm wrapping it up, Elizabeth, but uh, thank you for watching. I really appreciate it. Uh, so false prophet is one who who answers people who consult them and uh, tells them what they want to hear. They play into their fears, their anxieties. They ramp that up and uh, and then... So that's a false prophet. And a true prophet is one that doesn't abide anybody consulting them. Um, They know that it's not them who speaks the word, but it's the Holy Spirit. And a true prophet leads people to Christ because they know that that Christ is the true, uh, he's the fulfillment and the fountain of prophecy. So that's what a a false and true prophet look like. So you need, when you're discerning prophecy, you need to uh, look at that and you need to ask the Holy Spirit, is this of you? Is this of God? Because um, God wants, God always wants us to be seeking after him. Doesn't want us to be putting uh, other people on a pedestal the way that in a way that uh, lifts them above Christ that, that leads them to idolatry um, much like we have today in the political realm. So this I think this wraps it up for me. I hope this has been helpful for you. 
and has spurred you on to think more deeply about prophecy and to be more discerning when you hear or read prophecies from popular prophetic ministries. Uh, if you're interested in any of the material that I use, uh, you can, I use this book right here, The Apostolic Fathers. It's the Greek text, so you get the Greek right here. Uh, I don't know if you can read, see that, but it's Greek letters, and there's the English. Um, it's kind of expensive, though. Uh, and then there is uh, another book that I used by Clayton. Oh, I forgot to say, this is a, it's a collection of early church documents. Um, so there's a bunch in there that are very helpful. And then... There is Clayton Jeffords book, Reading the Apostolic Fathers, which, which describes the history and the reason for why all, all of those documents came about. And then uh, I use Oscar Merlo's article. Let me see if I can link it to you here in the comments. There we go. Um, and then, of course, the Bible. That's the most important one. Um, so we all want uh, bold proclamations of Christ. We all want to see signs and wonders. I'm, I'm saying if you're a Pentecostal or a charismatic and, you know, we want all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we want this apostolic, this new apostolic reformation. But we need to understand the we need to understand what the Bible says about prophecy and prophets. And we need to understand how people in the first apostolic age operated in these gifts. And if we don't, and we keep going down the path that we're going our ignorance is going to lead to a lot of harm. And so that's all that I have to say. Not sure when I'll be back again, but I appreciate the questions. Thank you, Jessica. And thank you, uh, Elizabeth and Antoine and anybody else who watched this. I appreciate it. Not sure, sure uh, when I'll be back, but uh, you guys have a good rest of the week and uh, God bless.